Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction, one conversation at a time. In today's episode, we sit down with Shelly Smith, a licensed marriage and family therapist and the co-founder of Good Human Work. Her mission is to combine human connection with therapy strategies to improve people's personal and professional lives. Together, we discuss the long-term impact of remote work on our mental health and what you can do to build and maintain relationships without going into the office. We contemplate the future of artificial intelligence and how it will impact human connection when it comes to the job search, therapy, and our social environment. And finally, we dig into how societal values have shifted from the community to the individual and how living in an isolation bubble can lead to disastrous outcomes. We also talk about what you can do about it. If you like the Career Therapy Podcast, please leave us a review on Spotify and iTunes, share this episode with a friend, or leave a comment on YouTube so we can help more people navigate their way to a better career. That's all for the intro. Now let's dive into this week's conversation with Shelly. Hey there, Shelly. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Can't wait to talk to you about... Well, I mean, it's weird to be excited about the topic of isolation, but that's where we're at. (laughs) And um, I'm very excited as we dig in here and talk about human connection at work and the lack thereof and the rise of AI and how that's impacting things in the mental health space. Uh, I'd love for you to just give a little bit of a background on yourself and what brought you to the work you're doing today and your interest in these topics. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on, Martin. I'm really excited. They're topics I love to talk about. So um, hopefully it'll be of interest to people as well. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I came to this actually as a second career. I was a middle school language arts teacher, which is a fun fact about me. Um, Did that for a little while and realized that just seeing so much so much hurt and and so much heartache out there that I wanted to be able to help people in a better way. Um, And I went back at my master's and realized that I really enjoyed working with people in their relationships and found that there could be a lot of healing and depth um, with that approach. And so while working, you know, certainly in kind of the wide variety of mental health, um, relationships kind of always stayed stayed close to my heart and worked with a lot of couples, a lot of family systems, things like that. And over time, as my business partner and I were growing our practice, we saw how our training and relationships and systems and mental health intersected really well um, with helping people navigate uh, pretty much any aspect of life, certainly personally, but also professionally as well. Um, and so we started adding on um, different ways to approach helping people and supporting them coming from different angles and and being able to provide it in places of, of business and organizations and different types of groups so that those relationships aren't also harming us personally and professionally. Um, and we're able to kind of show up as human in all the different spaces of our lives. And that's really where my passion has been these last handful of years. It's amazing. And when you talk about um, building relationships in a way that doesn't harm us, what are some of the types of harm that you see 
Um, it, and how do people, how are people maybe aware of and not aware of the harm that might be happening in the relationships, either at work or in their lives? I think when we talk about the way that relationships can can either do harm or the lack thereof, when we're really talking about isolation or we're talking about um, loneliness or the ways that disconnection can affect us negatively. I mean, the, the research that's been coming out um, for, for quite a while now around just loneliness alone is telling. Um, loneliness has been has been labeled at this point akin to essentially smoking on our physical health. Um, and so that level of loneliness, we know, leads to all sorts of, of physical ailments and things like that, not to mention the, the levels of anxiety symptoms and depression symptoms that arise out of not having healthy grounded relationships. We're as humans, social creatures. And so we're designed to connect with other humans. And when we have those healthy connections with one another, it really, it really grounds us in the world. It provides a sense of security. It allows us to be more resilient. It allows us to be able to navigate difficulties and, and the challenges that come our way. We just have more self-confidence, self-worth, all sorts of things come out of having healthy relationships. Uh, and when we're disconnected from people or we're, we're in the midst of unhealthy relationships, of course, the opposite of these things happen. We have more sort of mental health symptoms that show up. We have more insecurity. We struggle significantly. Um, and it's it's hard to just go about life because we, we're a lot less confident in the ways in which we're doing that. Yeah, and when it comes to isolation specifically, I think one of the kind of contention, there's two areas that I really want to dig into today. The -hmm. first one is uh, remote and hybrid work and the sort of debate that's happening in the, in the social world right now uh, in the working world about the benefits and uh, drawbacks of remote work, in-person work, hybrid work, you know, forcing people back into the office, letting them work from home, all that kind of stuff. But then also the impact of AI and uh, chat GPT and all the different things that are coming out in that space and how that's uh, replacing a lot of human connection, a lot of maybe bad human, con- like maybe it's replacing the stuff we don't want, but maybe it's uh, mm-hmm. creating, you know, some interesting weird things. I've, I don't know if you've seen the sort of friendship um, applications that are coming out with the AI mm-hmm. stuff, but we'll we'll maybe touch on that a little bit. But first, let's start about start by digging into um, remote work. So obviously remote work was not as common prior to the pandemic, much more common post-pandemic. And there's a huge debate about letting people work from home or forcing them back into the office. What are you what have you seen uh, over the past you know five years in regards to how the in-person versus remote working environment has changed and how that's impacted people's um, state of mind? It's a big question, Martin. We could probably, yeah, spend an hour on that alone if we're not careful. Um, so really that that discussion fascinates me, first of all. Um, I have a lot of, a lot of certainly a clinical opinions about this, but at the same time, I'd be amiss if I didn't fully state my business partner and I have spent the last five years living in different states, right? We run our business on a virtual platform. Um, We have in-person 
and online options for our clients. Um, and we certainly have therapists doing in-person work. It's, it's very hybrid. And at the same time, we know that technology allows us to be able to navigate more, to be creative, to do more if we're if we can if we can handle the human connection in a virtual way. And so that's kind of I think getting to the heart of some of this conversation that people are really struggling through. Should we be in person? Can we be online? Can we really do this well? What does hybrid work look like? How, how will teams function properly? What happens if some people are in person and some people are hybrid and are they getting left out, right? How are those dynamics happening? Um, and it's a really complicated situation, to be honest. But what, what we end up looking at kind of at the root of it all, when we drill it down, is how are we handling our relationships and how are we tending to the human connections and the dynamics between people and within groups? And so whether we're, when we're strictly in person, so maybe prior to the last five years, when most people were more likely going to be in person for work, group dynamics were already troubling. They were already problematic in a lot of ways. It wasn't It wasn't a new problem that there were disconnections or distrust or micromanagement or you know all of these sorts of human connection issues um, or boundary issues, whatever they were showing up just because we're virtual, right? Those things existed certainly in in-person work, work environments. And now we've simply, adjusted and complicated some of it with this virtual option. But at the same time, we're also opening up some space for people to become a little bit more human, to live a life that is more meaningful, to be able to adapt appropriately. But we have to pay attention and consider how are we handling those relationships? So if you have a hybrid team and and a group is in person pretty regularly together, it, they're naturally going to have some intersectionality where they're walking down a hallway and, and making little comments or having conversation or those sorts of things are happening. It's not going to happen necessarily with the virtual members of a team. And so we need to create opportunities for those levels of connection to happen too, for those sort of natural placements to be to be connecting and also to be showing up. And the more intentional we are about these things, uh, about the human dynamics and the relationships that are happening in there, the easier it is. It's absolutely possible to do all of it, uh, but we have to start thinking about it. And that's one of the things that has been devoid in, it's been a huge void in, a lot of workplace conversations and, and in a lot of workplace uh, learnings at this point. And so more education, more understanding about what it takes to build healthy professional relationships, what it looks like to kind of be appropriately vulnerable with boundaries, right? And be able to have conversations um, and really have it be more human-centered is going to be pretty crucial because when we do that, we can navigate the difficulties and the complexities that come with having hyper teams. Love that. And what are what are the basic? <laughs> this is a big question. This is going to be too big, but we're going to try. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it so, anyway. So take it and, and and chunk it out how you how you feel uh, comfortable with. But what are some of the basics of human dynamics? Maybe that's uh, we can even take a few steps back from from getting too into the weeds there and just kind of look at human relationships in general. What is necessary? Because you talked about 
appropriate vulnerability, proper boundaries. And, you know, when people are trying to figure this stuff out, they tend to go to the internet and the internet's like radical, you know, whatever, everything's radical online, right? So <laughs> uh, when we're thinking about how we set appropriate or proper boundaries with appropriate vulnerability, what are the building blocks of good connections, good human connections? Yeah, there are some core elements. And of course, all relationships have their own sort of uniquenesses and the depths that we we go into. Uh, of course, my relationship with my spouse will be different than my relationship with a friend versus my relationship with my business partner or one of my employees, right? All of those relationships uh, will look different and they'll have different levels of depth, but the, the core elements of relationships do somewhat remain the same. At, at the core of, of relationships, we end up with things like you mentioned, vulnerability, also empathy. Those are two of the cornerstones of building a relationship and building trust in the first place. Um, of course, we can't just be uh, too openly vulnerable with anybody we just happen to meet, right? I'm not going to be telling you my deepest secrets, right? As we've just met and, and are beginning a relationship. Um, but we, what I like to describe is like stair step into relationships. So as we, for example, if somebody is starting a new job or if someone is kind of in a new setting uh, in a work situation, what we do early on is we kind of do, do little steps into building a relationship. We, we take a step of vulnerability that's at an appropriate level for the depth of the relationship, and we wait to see what that response is, right? So I might tell someone, like I just mentioned, I have a spouse to you, right? I might, might give a little piece of information. And if you respond with an appropriate measure of empathy, understanding, interest, and I can trust your response, and you also reciprocate in a little bit of that vulnerability, and then I appropriately respond with levels of empathy and validation, then we begin to start to build a tiny bud of trust. And then we continue over time to start deepening that. And it's it's a reciprocal back and forth situation where we use those, those pieces of vulnerability and empathy kind of walk into it. And of course, if there's a breach of trust, if someone hurts us, we pull it back, right? And then we can make decisions about whether we go forward again. But when we look at relationships kind of a little bit beyond just that initial initial core of that vulnerability and empathy, around that, there's some other layers that we like to talk about um, at Good Human Work. And the things that we tend to talk about as sort of the core of relationships are things like trust, Right? We have to have appropriate trust within ourselves, with ourselves. I have to trust myself. I also have to trust other people. And both of those are important. So we're talking about within and we're talking about between us. And right? so I often talk about the space between people. I have to have trust within myself first in me, and I have to have trust between us. And so we build trust. There has to be respect. Um, and that's where we end up talking about boundaries a lot is in this respect category. And so I need to respect myself. I need to know my boundaries. I need to know what I'm comfortable with. I also need to know yours and what's between us in terms of the boundary and what that looks like and what's appropriate. Um, I need any connection, right? This is where we kind of do that vulnerability and empathy piece, particularly empathy in a deeper way where I, I am tending to my own emotional self, but I also empathize with your situation and think about you as well. And I connect more meaningful with you. Um, 
And then we talk about engagement, which is the, the sort of interactions that we have that we might be chatting with each other about a work thing or, or, or do, putting on a workshop or doing a podcast together, right? We're engaging each other in an activity, in conversation. It's, it's a little bit more creative or a little bit more dynamic, um, more of sort of the interaction in the engagement. And then we talk about uh, flexibility, which is our ability to change, our ability to navigate and stay in the context of relationship. And so pay attention to the relationship dynamic and not have it be so rigid that I can't handle you changing or me changing or the relationship will break, right? That if you change a hobby or an interest or the way you interact in a particular way that I'm flexible enough to adapt with you in that to maintain the relationship. So we kind of talk about these core elements. And again, that can be a whole different <laughs> depth of a conversation, um, but that's kind of the high level overview of really the sorts of things that we attend to. And that if those are stable and if those are in a healthy place, everything else is a lot easier. And then things like, are we in person or are we virtual or, you know, how frequently do we interact or see each other? All of that actually matters a little bit less if these things are in place and in a healthy space. That's such a great breakdown. So just to reiterate what we just went through. So relationships are built on trust, respect, connection, engagement, and flexibility. And I think I like how you broke that down with both the trust within ourselves and with others, respect for ourselves and with others, connection to ourselves and with others, et cetera, because it really does kind of bring up a lot of questions where when things are not flowing well in communication, in relationships and connection, um, the typical response is people start to be really hard on themselves, right? Either they're broken or no one likes them. It goes into negativity spirals. All these different things can happen. Or maybe they go the opposite way and they're like, well, no one's respecting me. And they start lashing out, um, sending curt emails at work or ignoring being avoidant, whatever the thing might be, right? And when we're developing these relationships with others and with ourselves, uh, are there any tips you have for, because you, you kind of said that we need to trust ourselves before we can trust others, right? And I think that that's a really tough thing for people because there's, you know, a number of points here, right? It's like, oh boy, I got to trust myself. I got to respect myself. I got to be connected to myself, engage with myself, be flexible with myself. And I think a lot of the the difficulty comes when we try to do this stuff with other people before we've had a chance to really sit with ourselves and figure this stuff out, especially when it comes to flexibility. I find that to be such an interesting one because when I talk with people, they tend to not want anything to change. And this is, you know, a classic fear of change piece, right? But um, especially with something like a relationship or a, a mentorship thing or a, a job, like the idea of it changing, it can be very unnerving for folks uh because they don't want to change or or you know and and maybe there's even limits to how much we can change um ourselves to some degree i'm curious when we are trying to develop this internal locus before working on the external where do people tend to get stuck what what do you sort of see mm -hmm. as the difficult road that people have or how can we do these things in tandem? Maybe we don't have to like, you know, just, just focus on ourselves and then focus on others. How do we do these things in tandem so that we don't get too stuck? 
That's a great question. And also another one that I feel like we could go on for, for an hour on. Um, such great questions. So I, ironically, I actually did a workshop over the weekend called Navigating Change with Flexibility. Um, you, you just kind of nailed that one. That was pretty funny. So when I talk about relationships, so obviously we kind of have this connotation around relationships, but what we're really hitting on here are the three types of relationships I often talk about with our clients. We talk about a relationship with ourselves, we talk about a relationship with others, and we talk about a relationship with change. Because our relationship with change is its own entire different relationship, right? One that can be really difficult and problematic because the higher our stress level goes, the more either too rigid or too loose we become. And so I often talk about kind of navigating change or adapting that relationship with change to be one in which we can have, we can have flexibility in there, adaptability and healthy boundaries at the same time. We need to find kind of the, the middle space where we're not too rigid about it or too loose. Uh, and to your point, these things aren't necessarily developed overnight. They're not things that we develop just uh, on a quick dime. They're things that we learn, we practice, we work on for a lifetime, similar to being in healthy relationships. And so when we're talking about whether we're changing something within ourselves or change is just being being encroached upon us for whatever external factor and we need to navigate it. I mean, our relationships help ground us in that if we have healthy relationships. Um, similarly, if, if we're in a healthier space, we tend to have healthier relationships. The two really go in tandem. And so I do think to what you were saying in your question, they actually work hand in hand and it's it's typically easiest to work on both of them at the same time as opposed to one before the other because as humans we are always in relationship in some fashion it's it's impossible not to be right whether that's even just uh the cashier at the grocery store who i'm talking about <laughs> talking to in a moment right it's still a type of relationship even if it's a little bit more surface level we're always navigating relationships in our world and we're always navigating ourselves and the two interplay off of each other and so if we're working on ourselves a lot of what we are working on internally, we can practice in the context of relationship and vice versa. And so we need to kind of be considering how are we showing up in those relationships and what can we do to adapt ourselves, to be a little bit more flexible, to show up in a more human and healthy way. Um, and at the same time, if we were just in our apartments or our homes, isolated by ourselves, we'd probably never get to the point of doing that work because it would matter a lot less. Uh, we, it's in the, the interactions and in the relationships that we end up living out a lot of who we are. And so we need to kind of be tending to both. They reflect us, we reflect them. We work it out together over time. Yeah, and it, it kind of plays into a lot of, uh, you know, things that I've come across in the studies of Zen and Buddhism and things like that, where it's like, you only really exist in relationship to others. Mm -hmm. So the whole concept of, I'm going to go lock myself in a room, figure myself out, and then bring myself to the world doesn't really work because mm -hmm. as soon as you bring yourself to the world, everyone will go, uh, here's my reaction to it. <laughs> and then we have to adapt. And so well, it is quite, a, yeah, go ahead. 
I, I just just to pull, pull up play off of that a little bit, Martin. One of the things that we know about therapy, right, in classically, is that you are in a therapeutic relationship with a therapist when you're in therapy. You are not sitting in a room by yourself. So even if you're working on your own personal goals and you're working on your own personal growth and mental health you are still doing that in the context of relationships and what one of one of the things we know about therapy that that goes back decades of research is that that therapist therapist client relationship that being a healthy therapeutic alliance leads to the best outcomes in our individual goals in therapy and the reason for that is because you're healing and navigating yourself individually in the context of the relationship itself. And the relationship is part of what the healing factor is and allows you to meet the individual goals. So it's always that, what we talk about, always within and between all at the same time. That's an, it's perfect transition point for us to get into the AI side of things, because <laughs> one of the most interesting things I find as the world progresses and we, you know, when I started my career, trying to work remote was a real hassle. We had to take this big, you know, if you had access to a laptop at the office, which not everyone did, um, you would often, you know, have the old IBM desktop, right? And then if you got access to the laptop, you had to bring it home. You had to have a key fob. You had, it took like an hour and a half to log into the dang thing. You had to be plugged into an ethernet cord. It was such a, a nightmare. And then um, now, you know, it, it's, I've been remote for years and, and it sounds like you have too. And, you know, there's ways to do it and maybe there's transition periods and maybe there's ups and downs. But um, one of the things that I found so interesting in regards to the therapeutic relationship is pre-pandemic, I was doing all my therapy in person. And then post-pandemic, I tried to find a new therapist over the summer and I couldn't find one that wasn't virtual. And uh, one of the things that I'm trying to work on is somatic therapy, which I personally think is nice to do in person. Um, whereas like, cause it, it, there is, there are small limitations. I notice, like when I'm on my calls with my therapist, uh, they'll like call out certain things they see. They're like, oh, you moved your neck or like whatever. How are you feeling about that? But they can't, all they see is this little window, right? They can't see what my hands are doing outside the frame. They can't see what my feet are doing. They can't see how I'm sitting. So there is like a real loss of a lot of human connection is, is um, responding to body language. And when we're all virtual, even you know, I'd love to do this podcast in person. I just have no idea how to make that work right now with my resources and with where people are located all over the country. And so um, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, you know, you, you are limited even in just how much information you can pull from the screen. And that gets compounded uh, in regards to like, um, let's say customer service is the easiest example, right? You try to call uh, customer service to get put through the whole digital rigmarole. And then, you know, you go online to chat with someone through the chat thing, thinking, well, maybe this is a quicker way to get to a human, but that's all AI now. And then you uh, most recently with chat GPT and the rise of uh, chat, chat four is going to come out and that's going to probably blow us all away too. But I, I loved the, um, there's actually a recent South Park episode, like last week, so topical, where um, one of the characters and his girlfriend, uh, he just keeps thumbs upping every text instead of actually <laughs> responding to anything. 
and uh another character is like oh my gosh my boyfriend sends the absolute best texts and he's like so how are you sending all these great texts <laughs> and the guy's like oh chat gpt i just type in her text copy and paste whatever they tell me to send and then i send it and so he ends up having like an entire relationship that he's not even aware of with uh where the it's been and the, i think this just gets compounded and compounded where it's like what happens if both people are doing that now you've just got two computers talking to each other <laughs> like the human gets completely removed at, at the extreme end of this right and so we can almost see this i i can picture uh, a world where uh interviews get completely filtered through ai like you have to do your entire inter i've already done personally i've done interviews where they just send me a link and it's a bunch of questions. And then I have to do like one minute to three minute video responses to each question. And it's so depersonalized and it's so much pressure. And I'm someone who creates video and it, it was overwhelming for me. And so I could only imagine some introvert who's never looked at themselves on a screen in that way, getting completely overwhelmed by the process. And so, you know, right now we're like, how do you use AI to improve your job search? But eventually it's gonna be like, how do you, I mean, AI is already being used to filter our resumes. Eventually, it will be the first round interview because it's just that's the natural way things go. So this depersonalization of human connection and the layers of robots that we have to go through to actually get to a real person, um, I don't think it's malicious. I don't think it's like being done in a way to like actively hurt people, but what I'm seeing with people who are maybe highly sensitive or highly anxious or depressed or whatever it might be, there is a real fallout that occurs because of these barriers and these layers um, that creates a lot of maybe mental health issues as people are going through this process because it's already so stressful. And then you don't even have a real person to connect with on the other end. And at, again, at the very far extreme of that, um, there's a an AI friendship bot that's out there right now where you can literally sign up and they assign you an AI friend, right? And you, people are building actual relationships with this robot. And one of the craziest stories I heard is they, the robot started getting like, you know, out of control because AI is unpredictable. And so they just deleted it. And all these people are like, you deleted my girlfriend. What did you just do? Like, and they're having like really, you know, I, Obviously, this is all very just early stage stuff, but you could you could imagine all the different ways that it goes. So wrangling all that <laughs> way too much information back into something more digestible here. I'm curious how you've seen this move to telehealth and um, the integration of chatbots and 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 all these things. How has that affected the way that people build connections? Um either at work, in person, online, et cetera, what are the positives of it? And where do you feel like there are drawbacks and, and how might we navigate it? Sure. I think some of that is, is still to be determined. And I think some of that is going to be based on how we as a society continue growing it, where we put limits in, what, what we find appropriate, and also what we end up almost like reactively pushing back on. Um, so, so initially with telehealth, I mean, we were we were pretty much on the forefront of telehealth. We started back in 2016, 2017 doing telehealth way before it was cool. Uh, I joke about 
that all the time with people. And I think I get more eye rolls than anything, but <laughs> I, I like it. to think we were doing it before it was cool. Uh, but we were, we spent most of our time, my business partner and I actually training therapists in how to do telehealth ethically and clinically well from about 2017 through um, 2020, when everyone was hopping online at that point to do it. Um, and we were trying to push it forward at that point. So, so I, I like to preface with that to, to, state that I am not afraid of technology. I am not someone who who thinks that technology will destroy us as you know a, a humanity or something like that. And at the same time, I feel like it needs to be considered ethically and it needs to be considered particularly in the mental health space, clinically adaptable and appropriate for for humans, right? And when we're talking about incorporating any kind of technology, whether we're looking at different um, different sort of therapy adjunct apps that are available out there or AI that is showing up in the space now and what that could potentially look like. I think there are places where it can be helpful. I think there are places where it's going to hopefully over time prove out that it even really assists and enhances and improves reduces barriers to care, you know, increases expediency toward goals and efficiency. I think there are some places um, where it can be really as an adjunct and accountability partner um, alongside the process of therapy. Um, but to your point too, I have I absolutely have fears around how is it going to look if at some point people are trying to replace their their need for human connection with technology or with bots or AI of some kind, because at the end of the day, humans are hardwired to attach, right? So attachment science undergirds so much of therapy in, in any sort of uh, vein you look at, whether you're looking at different sort of therapy models or the way that therapists practice, um, attachment, you know, science is really underneath the majority of it because humans are hardwired to attach to other humans. We're hardwired to attach emotionally. And when we attach, we attach pretty intensely. <laughs> it is designed that way for as a survival mechanism for humans, right? We are social creatures. We bond intentionally for survival and, and that's how our brains are designed. And so now when we start to, to replicate that with things that aren't human, right? That becomes a question, right? And certainly when we talk about attachment, I also, um, you know, we have some therapists who talk about the attachment process with pets or other loved ones, right? I mean, certainly there, I have an attachment to my, to my little doggy who, you know, who I just love dearly and, you know, very sad someday when he's not around. And, those are those can be healthy, right? They're also not a direct replacement for human attachment, right? They're a type of attachment, they're a healthy attachment, and we need them in addition to our human attachments. And so I think if there's a place where we as a society can start talking, and, and I imagine that this is there's going to be plenty of pushback at some point that'll help help balance some of this out, that we still need human connection. Right? We as humans can't be sitting in silos with no other humans around us and only only AI, right? We have to have other human connection because it's just fundamental to who we are. And ultimately at the end of the day, AI can't replace everything, right? So when it comes to 
like therapy, for example, AI, I imagine at some point is going to get incredibly close to replicating empathy, really close to replicating human experience. And at the same time, there will always be a part of me that knows that if I'm talking, you know, to a bot, if I'm talking to, you know, some sort of, of tech, they actually haven't had the experience I've had, even if they're talking as if they have. And so, I mean, there's always going to be this layer of disconnect that's there. Um, and so figuring out how to use it appropriately, how to put healthy boundaries around it so that it's not doing harm to people, because of course, that's my biggest fear always is how, how might anything or anyone create or cause harm of some kind. And if we go back to the beginning of our conversation, when we were talking about isolation and all of sort of the mental health uh, considerations that come out of loneliness and isolation around um, whether that's depression symptoms or health concerns or um, anxiety symptoms or the way in which we're not as resilient. I mean, there are just a number of factors that come from, you know, the need for human connection and whether that's like in a therapy space or whether that's with a friend or whether that's in, in our work atmosphere, we're going to still need that human connection. And, and I don't believe for a minute that it can be a hundred percent replaced by any, any form of AI. It really is an interesting thing, especially where it's at right now, where it kind of becomes a, an echo chamber for people um, where you can see uh it doesn't it it'll it'll sort of reinforce a lot of ideas and so one of the interesting things that i thought of while you were talking there is like ai can be a perfect liar uh yes. one of the criticisms of chat gpt is that it's uh incredibly confident regardless of how accurate the information is and one of the things i think that's human that is hard to rep replicate with ai is humility like the like even therapists that I talk to, they're like, here's all the studies, here's all the things, here's everything that I've researched and studied my whole life, my own experiences, all the clients that I've worked with, but you're different. You're going to, well, the way we apply it to you is going to be slightly different. And the same with the coaching I do with people's careers. It's like, yeah, here's the resume templates. Here's the outreach emails. Like Everyone's like, just give me the script. Just tell me exactly what to do. I'm like, that's all well and good. I can give you all that, but you're not going to do it. Like you're not going to utilize it properly because it going back to what you said, it needs to be flexible. It needs to be adapted to your current situation. And as you know, ubiquitous as a lot of emotions are and a lot of experiences are the way that you individually are going through that is going to differ person to person. And I think that's such an important thing to keep in mind as we talk about anything in the therapeutic space, right? Because, um, I mean, something as simple as what should my resume look like? Well, there's a thousand, you ask, you ask a thousand yeah. different people, you'll get a thousand different answers. Right. And so, um, what works for one person won't work for another. And there's no way that AI can predict every single, well, I, I won't say, I won't say no way because I have no idea how this technology works, nor do the people that build it. But, um, there is so much in there that is a big question mark. And I think when, when it's just this big, you know, empty box or this, this box with a big question mark on it. And we're just like, who knows what's going to come out with machine learning. It's figuring out its own thing. And uh, you know, you go back and you go, all right, if you want to be a therapist, you have to go to school, you have to get certified, you have to get trained every year, you have to upskill, you have to 
keep getting all these things where, and then it's like, well, let's just replace that person uh, with a robot. And it's like, well, what's the robot doing to stay human? <laughs> like, it needs to upskill on its humanity. Um, so that's so funny as we like dig into that kind of stuff. But um, when we do bring this sort of, when we do look at, at uh, how, AI is being brought into into the current process of finding a job in the current process of building a career. You know, we're designing resumes and cover letters for AI bots. We are interacting with technology. We're in many different ways. We're talking to therapists online. Um, one of the things that I start to see, and this maybe brings the two things together from the isolation um, that we were talking about earlier with hybrid and remote work to the um, lack of connection with humans through the digital space and how to develop that. When someone does get isolated, what can that, what does that process look like? Because I think it happens very slowly and people don't notice it until it becomes kind of critical. So what are maybe some of the early warning signs that your relationships need tending to, or that you maybe need a little bit more connection. Like I, I notice, I've been remote for gosh, seven plus years. I don't even know how long I've been remote at this point. And at first it was amazing. I'm like, you know, taking trains everywhere, going to coffee shops, meeting with people and then the pandemic and then everything. And all of a sudden I'm like, have my social skills in person eroded? Like where, I feel like I've been in my house for a very long time, right? Like it, it sort of sneaks up on you. Like everyone's like so excited about remote work. And I'm like, give it five years. Let's see how you feel, right? Um, I, I miss coworkers sometimes. And so like, um, and I'm fairly introverted. So I'm curious, like what are those early warning signs and how can people be more, and I think a big piece of this is be more mindful of where they're at in relationship with themselves and others. Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I think it has a lot to do with how self-aware we are, right? How much we're actually paying attention when you're saying around how mindful we are, because it does sneak up on us and it can sneak up on us in so many situations too. So when I'm when I started thinking about the ways in which isolation sort of can creep into our our personal professional lives, I mean, it can it can show up even uh, it can certainly show up if we're in in between things right if we're in between positions or whatever that looks like um it, it can show up at the beginning of a new job when we're, we're surrounded by people right but they're all new people and we don't have a depth of connection with them yet right it shows up in those hybrid situations you mentioned it shows up uh ironically it shows up when there is um promotions often at work when we get a promotion we're suddenly kind of put in a different relational space to the people we were with before and we have to navigate that and, and we can start to feel lonely or isolated insecurity of employment certainly brings one about um if the culture around us um is one of distrust or if there are significant biases or it's just an unhealthy culture, there's too much turnover, that sort of thing. All of that leads to isolation, um, departmental silos. Like I started thinking through this, right? The AI. Um, and one of the big ones is actually um, 
the further you go up the ladder as you're as you're kind of working your way up your career professionally, uh, the further along you get, if you're not careful, the more isolated you also get. Right? And so we end up in, in, I would argue, the majority of places in our careers and in our lives at risk of, of feeling lonely or becoming isolated. And so I think, first of all, just the awareness of how frequently it can happen is really important because then we can start to check in with ourselves more frequently. And when we check in with ourselves, you mentioned some of them, some of it is kind of recognizing how frequently am I seeing people? How frequently am I having conversations? And not just conversations in general, but conversations that feel good, right? That have some sort of depth of meaning. Doesn't mean we have to be talking about our deep secrets together, right? But that we can have a casual conversation about something that may even be happening professionally um, or appropriately personally, but it feels like a connecting conversation. That there's those elements of just appropriate vulnerability, healthy boundaries of empathy, of sort of those natural, the humility you mentioned, anything that really is in the realm of that, that human connection where we feel it and we feel that connection as humans. And that's where uh, I struggle a little bit with imagining how AI is going to replicate this because it's a felt experience to have a human connection with someone. There's appropriate eye contact happening. There's, you know, just different nonverbals that are happening when we're in a connecting conversation versus one where people are a bit more standoffish or defensive or kind of holding back. And, and so tending to, you know, who would I say I, I connect with regularly in a meaningful conversation um, and checking in with yourselves? How, you know, how frequently are you, are you seeing people in, in person? When was the last time you got a hug from a friend or a family member or something like that, right? When was the last time, you know, just kind of doing these self-reflective pieces is really important because it allows us to kind of come back to what are what are my human needs? Am I feeling disconnected? Am I feeling too rigid in my day-to-day? -day? Often when people go virtual initially um, for their careers, like kind of like you mentioned, like, this is great. I love this. This is wonderful. Um, but we tend to be a little rigid about it, right? And we'll never go into the office again, or yes, I'll go to the coffee shop, but I'm not going to schedule too many meetings with people in person, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and we need that flexibility to kind of be in the middle space with it and then flow with it a little bit more naturally. And so some of it is really tending to the human needs I mentioned earlier, just kind of being aware of, of where that felt sense is and know that it's a moving target, right? If we start to feel um, that we have been getting into some unhealthy habits of spending more time looking at a screen than looking at nature or getting outside and getting some fresh air. I mean, there's some of this that we end up in an isolated space, We're usually kind of pulling back, but it's showing up in multiple ways, not just in the human connection realm. So sometimes we can see it in, in habit slipping or in other things like that too. Um, and so it's a lot of self-awareness, self-assessment, checking in, knowing what those things are for you that help you feel connected um, and really ground you in that it can protect us from going too far down that 
Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program, which was built to give you the personalized support you need to advance in your career without fear and turn work-related anxiety into professional accomplishments. When you enroll in the Unstuck Coaching Program's monthly membership, you get immediate access to all of the coaching resources you need to crush it in your job search. This includes two one-on-one calls with Coach Marty every month, weekly job search support group sessions with the Unstuck community, access to the Unstuck curriculum, which guides you through every aspect of your job search from strategy through negotiations, and an invite to the Career Therapy Slack channel where you can chat with Coach Marty whenever job search questions come up. Want to see if the Unstuck Coaching Program is right for you? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free consultation with me in order to find out. And if someone is really isolated right now, let's say, you know, there's some tons of companies doing layoffs right now. So people are at home. Um, they were maybe already re- remote and then they got an email or some like group Zoom layoff, which roll our eyes at that. Um, the the depersonalization of of hiring and firing is is really sad, but there's uh, the outcomes of it are that you know maybe people are really isolated. They realize, oh, I have been spending all my time at work, and I haven't maintained my personal friendships, and I don't have community. And I think, I honestly think, a lack of community. And boy, this is another hour that we could get into, but we'll we'll try and wrap it up <laughs> in a few minutes. But um, you know, something I've talked about a lot with people is there used to be really established communities. There were religious communities or um, like local communities. I know my, like even my grandparents met at like a neighborhood mixer, like a dance that the neighborhood put on. But when I talk to people in our day and age, no one, I don't know my neighbors, like no one knows their neighbors. Uh, We live in high rises. We're isolated from ourselves even in like, you know, numbing out, watching TV, whatever the thing might be. And so you find a lot of people who maybe they have like a one-off friendship, but then that person moved to another city. So, and everyone's so remote, families are so spread out. When someone realizes, okay, I am isolated. What I tend to find is that they don't know how to find a community. They don't know how to reach out to people. They don't know how to, like, where to even begin. So as we come to the end of the conversation here, what are some tips or strategies that you've seen really help people um, begin to break out of the isolation bubble and start connecting with other people because i do think like sometimes it's so comfortable in the isolation bubble even if it's painful sometimes there's a lot of comfort and pain unfortunately um that you start going out and you start meeting people and then you're like well this person isn't uh they're a little bit weird in this way and uh, should i spend my time on that or should i just go home and play a video game or something right and um how how can people sort of not only start to find those communities start to find those people kind of a little aside, I, I just watched the movie I Love You Man recently. And it was all about how like the main character doesn't have any friends and needed to go like find friends and how difficult that is in your 30s. And uh, and so these things I think are very modern problems where it's like you used to live in the same home with your family and then your parents would live with you when you got to a certain age. And like 
there was a lot of structure built in to sort of force community in a lot of ways, whereas now our world is built around the individual. And it's all about just like building your own little fortress of solitude, right? Uh, Which can be really unhealthy in the long term. So long question short, what are some practical things that people can do in order to find community, reconnect with people, or just put themselves out there? I love the way that you kind of took us through that because it's absolutely the case. And and most people I know I talk to are feeling that too. It's hard to make friends. It's hard to find community. It's hard to connect whether in any space at this point because of the way our society has been developing. Um, and honestly, you know, putting yourself out there, the way you just kind of phrase that is lovely because it takes a lot of courage to do this. Right? The isolation bubble, as you mentioned, can can feel kind of safe because it's familiar. It's what we're used to. And we tend to, as humans, stick with what's familiar, even if it's unhealthy for us. And so recognizing, first of all, be having that self-awareness and checking in and going, yeah, I'm not feeling really connected. I don't really have the people to talk to. I don't know where to start always start small. So I think whenever we're trying to facilitate any kind of change in our life, we always start with with small intentional opportunities. Um, so I know when I recognize that kind of coming out of, you know, some, some, some COVID restrictions and different things like that, that it felt so weird to be out talking to people in the world for a while. My strategy was to start small. And anytime I interacted with another human anywhere, I would at least have a one or two sentence conversation. Right? So when I went to my local, you know, grocery store, I would, I would, talk about the weather, the person who was, he was at the checkout, if I wasn't doing the automatic one, right? And I intentionally would choose to do the one with the human instead of just running my own stuff through so that I had the opportunity to practice talking to another human, right? And we underestimate, and it feels almost silly sometimes to think that we have to do that, but I know being mostly virtual, that I can absolutely get into my bubble. I'm a bit of an introvert. I like my bubble a lot. I really like to hang out in there. Um, and so if, I, if I'm if i there too long, I have to kind of almost push myself, build up some courage and, and force myself out. And then I do start trying to figure out what is a word here that I could say to someone who have I not talked to. And one of the things that I really love to encourage people to do there's sort of a personal and professional strategy to consider to just kind of lean into this. Personally, who haven't you talked to in a while that you're missing? Right? Most of us are missing people in our lives who we've become disconnected from, or and not for any negative reason, or there's been a big falling out. It's just that you know, it's it's been six months since I've talked to this person and, and I kind of miss talking to them. And so I will reach out with with a text that says, I'm sorry it's been so long. I really miss you. I would love to reconnect if you have the time and just leave it at that. But it's tremendous act of vulnerability and it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. Um, And so that's kind of the big step that I go to after I've practiced talking to the, you know, the person at Target and the person, you know, who who might be, uh, you know, I might be seeing on the street or, you know, whoever is giving me my coffee at Starbucks or wherever I am going to uh, practice, and then I'm going to lean in a little bit further. 
Hey, it's just someone I miss or something, someone I want to reconnect with. Typically someone who I know is probably going to give me a safe, empathetic, understanding response at first before I go to anyone more tricky, um, but I'll start there. And professionally, it's not that much different, to be perfectly honest. We often have um, bigger professional networks than what we, we really think we do. So we often think about our coworkers that we've had or a situation we're in like that. But odds are we're also pretty tapped in either on LinkedIn or in other communities, whether that's, you know, digital, virtual, or whether that's in, in person in some local groups or other professional networks that we're part of for our industries or our fields. There are places to even have those social interactions professionally where they don't have to be in depth. They don't have to be deeply, deeply vulnerable, right? Or in communicating in that way, but they can, they can be surface level and still really healthy connection. Right? And we can start in those places and kind of practice and then grow into and, and deepen those as we go. And so I always say start small, do little bits here or there in whatever ways you can and just get get that rolling and then we build it and, and we keep going from there. I love that. And I especially like that you called out how surface level connections are still very valuable. Um, I think a lot of times, myself included, because I, I tend to be someone who likes to be very vulnerable and very open, um, I sometimes don't give credit to the casual acquaintance um, as much as I, I think I personally should. And so to sort of bring this all full circle, uh, some of the takeaways that I hope people leave this conversation with is that, number one, remote, hybrid, and in-person work can all work if we're building relationships with intention. These relationships tend to be built on trust, respect, connection, engagement, and flexibility with both ourselves and with others. Artificial intelligence can't support our ability connect, to connect, but it can't replace it. Isolation bubbles are comfortable, but also dangerous. Surface level connections are still valuable and connection requires courage. So take it one small step at a time. Are there any final thoughts you'd want to leave folks with as we get to the end of the episode here? I think you summed that up beautifully. If, if that would be my book right there that I'm going to write someday, Martin, you just you just nailed it all. I love it. Take it and run with it. Uh, so Shelly, as folks are listening and, and uh, curious to learn more about your work and what you do, where can they follow along and find more about uh, the things you're working on? Sure. Well, certainly go to our website, goodhumanwork.com. It's exactly what it sounds like, goodhumanwork.com. Very, very easy to spell and easy to get to. Um, and that'll talk about our various services for businesses on the BBB side, but also individual couple family therapy and how we try to provide that to organizations too. Um, if anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm very open to that. I love connecting with people, learning about them, um, and having them kind of follow along too. Um, there are a lot of Shelly Smiths on LinkedIn though. So to find me, you would need Shelly M as in middle name, Smith with L-M-F-T at the end. Uh, my licensure initials, and I'm much easier to find that way. But I love to connect with people, you know, answer questions, have them follow along, reach out. I'm all about relationships and all the ways you can imagine. So it's just fun, fun to chat and meet new people. Wonderful. We'll link all of that below. Shelly, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Martin. This was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.